Turn in the Word of God this evening to John's Gospel, chapter 11. John chapter 11. It's good to see those of you here tonight. Welcome you in the Lord's name. It is indeed the last Wednesday of the year. And it's very true. We have no idea whether it will be another year on earth or another year in which it will bring us into the very presence of the Lord. So let us number our days that we may apply our hearts on to wisdom. There are a number of prayer requests matter to, matters to bring before the Lord. Some folks aren't feeling very well. Uh, maybe you're aware of that. There's sickness that has managed to work its way around a number of folks. Some of you have recovered already. Others are still unwell. Uh, there's a request for our sister Eileen Burns, prayer for her, especially since she's uh, very close to uh, giving birth. It's not long now, but do pray for her. I'm not sure all the details there, maybe more than just sickness. Do pray for her and uh, others that you may be aware are unwell. You see them absent even from us tonight. Pray for the elders as they continue their journey to Orlando, probably still on their way. And the Kellys also also heard, and some of you may may be familiar, some of you may not be familiar of the name Reverend Beggs. Reverend Beggs is one of the old uh, preachers in the Free Presbyterian Church of many years ago, uh, was the minister of the Balamina Free Presbyterian Church before Reverend John Greer left here, that is America, and returned to Northern Ireland in the year 2000 to uh, take up the work there at the retirement of the Reverend Beggs. His wife passed away, and the funeral was today. So not quite sure how old, but certainly up there in years, both of them. Uh, but pray for the Reverend Beggs, as you remember him and his sorrows. Uh, she was a Paisley before she married Reverend Beggs, so she too has a long history in our churches. We're in John 11. I'm going to read from verse 55 into Uh, the 12th chapter, as we give consideration to the Word tonight, and I'll read a little portion before we pray as well from some of the history of this land, but uh, John 11 verse 55, reading into the 12th chapter, I can't say anything, by the way. At the Stevens Conference, the Foundations Conference, I was sitting. Uh, sometimes, I, I don't know, some of you use the accessibility features on your phone. I do, and I'll pull up a PDF, and I'll have it, like, read while I drive, read PDFs of books and different things to me. You can, you know, use features like that on your phone. Well, sometimes I leave the little players on the screen, <laughs> and uh, I, I took my phone out, because I had gotten a message, and I accidentally hit the play of the access. I started reading like the text message. I had to run out of the, out of the, the meeting. Seth, Seth saw me run out, and he was like, well, what happened there? And I was like, yeah, stupid phone. <laughs> so it happens to us. Uh, it happens to us all. Best just turn this stupid thing off when we go into church, I think, is the best policy. Anyway, let's read the Word of God. John 11. Verse 55, And the Jews' Passover was nigh at hand. 
And many went out of the country up to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. Then sought they for Jesus and spake among themselves as they stood in the temple, What think ye that he will come to the feast? Now both the chief priests and the Pharisees had given a commandment that if any man knew where he were, he should show it, that they might take him. Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Then saith one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him, Why was not this ointment sold for three hundred pence and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bare what was put therein. Then said Jesus, Let her alone. Against the day of my burying hath she kept this. For the poor always ye have with you, but me ye have not always. Much people of the Jews therefore knew that he was there, And they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might see Lazarus also, whom he had raised from the dead. Amen. Ending there, uh, verse 9 of John 12. Let's pray. Lord, we thank Thee for, again, Thy mercies to us today. And since we last met in this place of worship, and as we cast our minds over the year that has gone, and we have just a matter of hours remaining in this year. We want to thank Thee for keeping us and helping us and hearing us. We rejoice, Lord, in how tender and merciful and kind Thou art. And yet we acknowledge also that the past year brought things that we could never have foreseen and for which we were not quite prepared And yet again, even through this, we can give thanks to Thee. As we gather together in this place, and we think of many that are absent, some that are sick, we pray, Lord, that You will strengthen them, that they might be with us again on the Lord's Day. We pray for those that are traveling as well, those that are still with family out of town. We pray also for the Kellys and the elders, that You'll remember them as we long, O God, to hear of what Thou wilt do through them as they preach the Word and minister in the place where you've called them. And we think, Lord, of our own needs here as we come to this place, as we gather looking to the Lord's Day, when we will begin our year together in this place, as we will sit at thy table as well. O God, it is a prospect most precious, and we pray that you will come with your blessing upon us. God, we are, we are very sinful. We, we We confess our shortcomings, and we're thankful the blood still prevails, and we plead cleansing for us all, and a renewal of a right spirit, and that we might walk in Thy way, and keep Thy word, and bring glory to Thy name. So hear us now, and give us of Thy spirit, as we consider Thy word together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I saw a video uh, earlier today of a, a scene of a cobalt mine in the Congo. I uh, 
was watching some just a little few minutes of of what's going on there and, and the reason for the interest in that particular I think it's the southeastern part of the Congo is because it has more cobalt than any other part of the world that we're aware of. Vast quantities of it in comparison to the little deposits that might be in Australia and other parts of the world. And the significance of that is uh, even more relevant right now because cobalt's used in uh, the production of batteries, in making batteries sustain their energy and so on. So uh, that has become obviously a hugely uh, profitable business not just with all of our cell phones and laptops and everything that's battery powered today, but especially with electric vehicles. It's become a massive part of the future as far as giving to us the batteries needed to, instead of having a combustion engine, to have an electric vehicle. So the video was showing what's actually going on in these mines. And that was what was quite startling. Because as far as what is being portrayed and communicated in these massive corporations, whether it be Tesla, Ford, or Apple, or whoever uses batteries in a massive quantities these days, is that this is all legit, like this is being done the right way. This has been done in a humanitarian way, and these workers are doing it, are getting the help and support and everything that they, they should be. It's proper machinery, proper tools, and everyone's uh, health is being taken care of. But that's not the case at all. And you go deep into that part of the world and you start seeing what's going on. You see in these mines, it's just a masses, thousands of people in flip-flops and bare feet with basic tools hammering out the cobalt out of the ground. And it has received some uh, attention. Whether it receives significant enough attention to change things remains to be seen. But I, I was looking at it and thinking, trying to imagine being born in that context. When there are children there, teenagers, and all sorts, male, female, they're laboring for probably peanuts every day. And I, I, couldn't, I couldn't imagine what it would be like. Because it defies imagination to think of living in that world you don't send your kids to school. You're not, you're not discussing what homeschool curriculum you're going to do for the year. You're trying to figure out whether you can drag your children with you to the mines to hammer at cobalt for us to use our cell phones and drive about in our fancy new electric vehicles. It's not new. This, this sort of stuff has gone on all the time, but just sometimes you get a little window into it afresh. And not only have we such material privileges that is evident without me explaining that to you anymore, but that we come to the Lord's house and we will gather this Lord's day and we will be able to sit at a table that signifies the spiritual privileges we have as well. It's not just the material. The spiritual. That God and His providence has not just blessed us materially, but has put the gospel before us. And some of you don't, you don't remember, even among my own children, you don't remember a day where you didn't hear about the Lord Jesus Christ, where you were ignorant. As long as you can think back, as far as you can think back to what has been put before you and what you've been informed about, in the middle of that is the message 
of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. In John 12, verse 2, taking just three words to hinge our thoughts upon before we pray tonight, it says that there they made him, that's Jesus, a supper, that Martha served, but Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. That was a scene in my mind, Lazarus sitting at this table with the Lord Jesus, which is what we will do this Lord's Day, God willing. We'll sit at a table like Lazarus with Jesus. Not in some place of horrific conditions, not wondering whether we can make ends meet, not wondering whether we have the means to put bread on the table, not trying to weigh up the danger to our lives and having to continue to work in horrendous circumstances and also not wondering about what will happen after I die. It's all been dealt with, settled by Jesus Christ so that we get to sit at a table. So that's how we'll begin our year. We'll come in January 1st into the Lord's house and we will sit at a table. I hope every child of God recognizes the mercy of that. And so then the, the, the words are one of them, but Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Of course, immediately, just you're thinking about it. One of them. Are you one of them that will sit at a table with the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you one of them that has a right to sit at the table with the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you one of them that understands what's communicated when we will sit at this table with the Lord Jesus Christ on January 1st and every first Lord's Day, God willing, throughout the incoming year? One of them. Because what I was thinking watching that video is, I can't imagine what it's like to be one of them. I can't imagine. But I get to be one of them here, sitting with the Lord Jesus. Why? What, what grace this is. So let's think just very simply before we pray first of Lazarus's condition. Lazarus's condition. He's, he's sitting here with the Lord Jesus. He's one of them that sat at the table. There are others there, but he is one of them. He is one that is pointed out. He is pointed out a number of times through this passage, actually. You see it again in verse 9, when those that are gathering, not just for Jesus' sake only, but that they might see Lazarus also. So people are talking about Lazarus. What's interesting is there's more talk about Lazarus than there is talk from Lazarus. Lazarus doesn't say very much. You don't have any words from Lazarus. And I think it would be wonderful if that was more about our testimony, that just talk about us rather than all our talk, because a lot of it's nonsense that we wish we could take back. But you go into the previous chapter, and we learn, first of all, what was his condition? He was dead. Verse 14, then said Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. You remember the context. And they have sent for Jesus, and Jesus comes, but of course it is delayed. But it is delayed for a particular purpose, the delay that God may be glorified in all that has happened uh, verse 4, when Jesus heard that, he said, The sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. But this is his condition. He is dead. Lazarus is dead. Well, so it was for you. You were, you were in a pit. 
one time without the Lord Jesus Christ, not a mine as it were, but a pit, in a place where you couldn't escape. You were by nature cut off from God, described there often we imagine it from the language of Psalm 40, David was in a horrible pit. And we think about that in a salvific sense. This is where we were without God, without hope in the world, in a pit. Don't forget it, child of God. Don't forget it. Don't meander through your life seeing yourself purely through a present lens. We are not to forget the pit from whence we've been digged. We're not to forget that which we are by nature and what we deserve by nature before God. Don't forget it. Don't forget it tonight. Don't forget it when you sit at the Lord's table. Remember, remember that by nature I deserve to be, I was in, I ought to still be there in a pit cut off from God. So whatever else you're going through, whatever challenges you face, whatever difficulties you feel within your soul, don't forget that because that helps give perspective. I was in a pit cut off from God and I had no way out. Couldn't climb my way out of there. Couldn't escape out of there. I was stuck. Entirely cut off from God. Hopeless. As I say, without God in the world. So was Lazarus. What can he do for himself? (laughs) Lazarus is dead. Well, Lazarus is not. Whatever the solution to this problem is, it's not found in Lazarus. And so it was for you. The solution was not in you. You were dead in trespasses and in sins. You were dead. Dead, dead, right? Not just using that as some poetic language, but you were dead, spiritually dead, powerless to bring yourself to God. Yet here you are tonight in a prayer meeting. On the Lord's day, God sparing you, you will sit at a table of the Lord as the, the height of earth's... The, what we have here on this earth depicting the nearness that we enjoy to God through Christ, the Lord's Supper. See, because you know that things are well whenever someone's inviting you for dinner. And you're sitting there and there's no animosity and they haven't invited you over to start something with you. They've, they've invited you over just to show their love and care. That's what, that's what the Lord does for us. But we were dead. And we were also unappealing. Look at verse 39 of John 11. Just those well-known words where we're told Jesus said, Take ye away the stone, Martha. I'll stick ye with the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord... By this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead four days. Well, again, that was you. You know, people might say, you weren't that bad. You know, you weren't the worst person in the world. You weren't guilty of all the greatest crimes. Certainly people that were more evil and corrupt than you. I, I remember telling a girl that I went to school with that God had saved me, and I was a Christian, and I remember what she said. She said, but sure, you know, it's not like you did anything bad. You know, that was her response. You know, like, in other words, why would you become a Christian? Why would you make this kind of decision when you didn't really do anything bad? That was her perspective. Of course, she was completely wrong. And whatever upbringing of Christianity that she had sat under as a child had failed to teach her that we are far from it, having the ability to save ourselves or live a good life. So we, we, we truly, though we may not smell it from ourselves sometimes, we, it's true what, this is true as we stand before God, we stink. 
We stink. The best of men stink before God. There is, there is not that sweet savor of the sacrifice of Christ. It is a foul odor that, that goes up before God from our lives. Yeah, we're not like that ointment that filled the room. We read of it in verse 3 of chapter 12. The house was filled with the odor of the ointment. That's, that's not us without Christ. Instead, we fill our place in the world with a stench. So this is our condition, without the Lord. But note also his call, his call. Lazarus received the call, again, which illustrates something that is true about ourselves. Verse 43 of chapter 11, we might say, first of all, it was powerful. When he had thus had spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. That's, that's glorious. Because there he is, he's, he's dead. He is completely unable to respond. It's not like getting someone off a sickbed and sort of you help prop them up. I mean, that was, Lazarus was beyond that, right? And the Lord speaks a word. He doesn't even go and pick him up. He just speaks a word, a powerful word, a word that we talk about in terms of the theology of it, the effectual call, the effectual call. All right, it's described in different ways in Scripture. Sometimes it talks about, you know, Lydia, her, her heart was opened as she attended on to those things that were spoken of by Paul. So there's, there's something going on there. It's something that God is doing. The Lord opened the heart. The Lord speaks and it is heard. Even though you're, you're this corpse, you're this corpse. So some of you can testify to this. You can say, that was me. I remember that. I remember being that person. I sat in church and didn't respond. And I knew the truth but had no interest. And you can tell your testimony. But there was there's something happened. I mean, you sat in church like other times or you heard something that you'd heard before and yet... What happened that time? What happened that time when you responded? What was going on there? You know, was it, was it manipulation? Was the person in your life or the instrument that God used, whether it be written or spoken or whatever it might have been, was, was someone trying to figure out where you were and with skill and craft and ability that had never been put before you before affect you in some way? Was that what happened? No. No, it was, it was it, by any other measurement, it was just a normal presentation of the truth. But there was a power in it. And you, you heard it. You heard it the way you never heard it before. The Lord still does this, praise his name. He cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. You know, he didn't even have to raise his voice, that's the thing. It's sort of like for the sake of the people. You know, so that people can't misunderstand what's going on here. He wouldn't even have to utter a word. He could just will it. But he cries with a loud voice, showing that the power is emanating from him, that he is the cause of the miracle about to take place. Well, so it is in your call. Some of you maybe haven't yet had this call. I wonder about the boys and girls here. If you've all had this call, you need to to make sure. You ask God, God, give me this call. 
Help me to hear your voice. It was not only powerful, it was liberating. Verse 44, He that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound with a napkin. Jesus saith unto them, Loose him and let him go. So he was all bound up, as was the manner of those days. But he is liberated. He is set free. Loose him and let him go. Loose him and let him go. That's what, that's what the Lord does for us. He sets us free. He sets us free. So, let me, just, let me just say a word to those of you that feel, perhaps, perhaps feel a little bit in bondage tonight. In bondage because of the oppressor. In bondage because of some besetting sin in your life. In bondage because of discouragement from the circumstances. There's a form of bondage that is binding you. And I tell you, it's not of Christ. It's not of Christ. He sets you free. So the fear, the sin, the trouble, the difficulty, the Lord Jesus is in the business of setting His people free. And you're perhaps listening too much to the old adversary who's after you because he loves to discourage you. No, no, no. no. You, you're going to come at a table you're one of them. You get to sit at a table. And at that table, you're, you're signifying you're one set free. And Jesus set you free to get up from where you were and walk to that table and sit down there and dine with him. So, dear Christian, arise, come forth. Dine with Jesus. Don't, don't sit there in the guilt and shame and sorrow and grief and all whatever those grave clothes are that bind you. Don't, don't let them tie you up. You, you find this sometimes. I tell you, it's one of the struggles, but yeah, blessings too of the pastor when you're, you're kind of having to, you know, in one sense, spiritually people have been set free, but it's like they use things from their past to wind around them. Like the old grave clothes are still sort of there around their feet. And they seem to take a hold of them and wind them around their legs in some way. You know, like a, like a child playing with a ball of wool. You know, and after five minutes, all tangled around the arms and the legs. And, you know, it needs, it needs help. Well, sometimes that's what new believers are like. They've been set free, but, but, but they're playing in the grave clothes and wondering, well, what about this sin? What about that? And what about the other and all the rest? And they're sitting there playing with the grave clothes and they tangle up and you have to set them down and say, Brother, sister, <laughs> you're set free. The blood of Christ cleanses from all sin. And the righteousness of Christ is sufficient for you. It is. That's what you believed in. A sufficient righteousness that covers you, brings you near to God. So you're liberated. It's not only powerful and liberating, it's also influential. Isn't it? Verse 45. Then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did believed on Him. They saw what Jesus did. Well, that's the kind of testimony you want. You want people to look at what has happened in your life and say, Jesus has done something here. You're not meant to be the same anymore. Some of our young people need to get that. Some of the older ones need to relearn it too. You're not meant to be the same. You are different. Don't be afraid of it. Different enough that people are able to mark the hand of Christ on your life. He's done something in your life. So you might say, as far as, as far as its influence, it added saints. Verse 45. They believed on him. It's adding saints. But it also maddened Satan. Verse 46. 
Some of them went their ways to the Pharisees and told them what things Jesus had done. Then gathered the chief priests and the Pharisees a council and said, What do we for this man doeth many miracles? And they begin to conspire and so on. They want to take him, verse 57, as we read. So it added saints, but it maddened Satan. And that happens too. It's good to get Satan upset. It's good that he has reason to be upset. Because you're doing something. You're going about your business and he's mad because he can't stop you. And that's the thing. He, can't, he actually can't stop. I mean, he, he can hinder in some ways. We know that. That's what Paul said. Satan hinders us. But, but he fears. The only thing he fears is, is the gospel. He fears lest the light of the glorious gospel should shine in. There's, there's, if you start opening your mouth and declaring the gospel, he's, he's afraid of what that might do. He's not afraid of a silent Christian. He's afraid of a, a speaking Christian. And that maddens him. All right, thirdly, also his communion. His communion. You go back to the chapter where the next chapter, chapter 12, you look at his communion. What do we learn of his communion? First of all, he's with Jesus. Dear child of God, this is your life. He didn't come to Jesus Christ in an act of conversion and then walk away again. You're with Jesus, right? You belong to him. You're stepping into 2023 and it'll be a good thing for you to underline this fact. I'm with Jesus. I'm with him. I've counted the cost and I am walking with him. I am living for him. I am serving him. My interest is related to him. I don't want to walk away from him. I don't want to be away from him. I want to be close. I want to be close. Yes, and Jesus comes near to such sweet saints. Six days before the Passover came to Bethany where Lazarus was, which had been dead. He came near to him, and Lazarus in turn was near to the Lord Jesus. So he's with Jesus. He's also eating. He's eating. You want to make sure you're feasting. Don't starve yourself. Lazarus is at the table in order to feast. Yes, and yes, he's feasting physically, but he's also feasting spiritually, isn't he? And that's what you want to do as well. So I know you're all sort of sitting out, maybe wondering, what's, what Bible reading plan are you going to endeavor to give yourself to for 2023? Do what you did last year, change it up, do something else, whatever. I, look, I don't care what Bible reading plan you set about, whether it's 10 chapters a day or one chapter a day or whatever it might be, whether it's Genesis through Revelation or chronologically or whatever you do, just make sure you're feasting. Make sure you're feasting. Take something in every day. Every day, take in the Lord Jesus. Feast on Him spiritually. You boys and girls need to make sure you're reading as well. You know, God doesn't give us the gift of reading so that we can use it for everything but feasting on Christ. What a tragedy. What a tragedy. The gift of, of reading. I read all this stuff, but we don't read of the Lord Jesus. Oh, don't let that be you. And he's also resting, isn't he? He's resting. Martha served. That's where you find Martha. But Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. He's resting. Yes. Well, you see, he was dead. He's been raised to life, and now he's just resting, resting in new life. And that's you. That's you, if you're in Christ. You rest in the life he provides. Rest. Rest. 2023 will have its cause for labor and work. There are things to be done. Things to be done. Things for this body to do. There's work to be done. 
There's a lot of work to be done. Oh, you know, if, you know, see the Kellys go away and see the elders go away and, you know, it leaves a void. leaves a void. There's other things to be done. You need to see people like that replaced. People step up and pray to that end. But first, we rest. We rest. That's what you do. Make sure you rest this year. Make sure you sit at the table with them. That's what we'll do this Lord's Day. May the Lord help us. May he enable us to be one of them. Yes, one of them. You can look at that the way it was in the past. I was one of them. You look at those people in the streets and you see how they're dressed and you see what they're up to and you hear all the news about what's going on. You turn on the news and you see what's happening in Buffalo, upstate New York, and they're, all, they're looting in the middle of the storms and the weather. You think, what's wrong with these people? And then you step back and you say, well, by the grace of God, <laughs> that's the only reason why I'm not one of them. It's not like I can look back at my past and say I never took something that didn't belong to me. But, praise God for His grace. So, just before we sing again, I'll read a little portion again. This is actually from what's going on uh, in what we read here is in Massachusetts, kind of midway between, I think, if this is the uh, Rentham that it may be in Massachusetts, it's between Providence and Boston. We read a little portion of this a few weeks ago. I just want to read a page here of uh, what was going on during the First Great Awakening in that little part between Boston and Providence. The minister records, Our people grew very desirous of lectures, (laughs) that they might have more frequent opportunities for spiritual instruction and to join in social worship, where we found God often bestowed His blessing. Many of our people, living three or four miles or more from our places of public worship, are necessitated to carry at or near about the meeting houses through the intermission between forenoon and afternoon exercises. In other words, it's too far, it's too far to go back home, so they, they linger. They do something between the services because three or four miles was a far, was a far trip and you're on your foot. There used to be little else but vain and worldly talk among most. But upon the late remarkable divine influence on people's minds... There was a wonderful change in this regard among, we think, the greatest part of our people. It became a common thing for them to retire in small companies to different places for religious conferences or reading, and sometimes these exercises were mixed. And more lately, there are several societies that spend part of the intermission in praying, reading, and singing together. So the public worship and the time to spare, they go and they... Sing and pray and read more. Wonderful. This wasn't normal. This wasn't what was happening before. So that on many accounts, the intermission as well as time of public exercises of God's worship is very remarkably holy to the Lord, esteemed honorable, and a great delight unto the more serious among us. And even the time of travel to and from our places of public worship has often been sweetly redeemed for pious discourse between two or three as they walk in company together. We are satisfied that the general concern upon people's minds, which prevailed among us above two years ago, and has not ceased, 
did not arise from a disposition to conform to, preve- to the prevailing custom of the people around us. It's not just going on because others are doing it. For this was the first town which was so remarkably visited and blessed by sovereign grace within many miles. And it evidently appeared that many would be under the same concern at the same time and would be agreeably surprised when they unexpectedly found one another uttering the same complaints relating to the state of their own souls. It is also very evident that this general awakening was not from the influence of traveling ministers, though we are satisfied God has made use of them for the revival of religion in many places. For there was but one sermon preached in the town in such a way, and that to a small auditory. In other words, it wasn't through Whitfield and some of the traveling men who were powerfully being used. They, they, they didn't have that there. And here it is very observable that there was a spirit of conviction on the hearts of many in the winter before it was externally very evident. When, by the extremity of the winter and depth of the snow, many of our people could not for many Sabbaths together attend in the ordinary and stated exercises of religion. So clearly was it the work of God. Nevertheless, we are glad to own that the news of many conversions in Northampton, with Edwards and so on, and other towns in that part of the country some years before, and of some remarkable success of the gospel in some parts of England and America, were means of stirring up thoughtfulness in many and encouraged godly persons to pray with the more confidence for the outpouring of the Holy Ghost also on us. So, just a little snippet there of what was going on in a little part of Massachusetts at that time of the Great Awakening. And we look for the same. We look for the same, just an unusual move of the Spirit of God where people are stirred in a way they've never been stirred before. And you can't, you can't explain it. It's just a work of God. It's just a work of God. Let's sing. Let's sing and then we'll pray.